0: Hello, and welcome to the podcast series Raw Talent with me, Fiona Abrahams, where I am deep diving behind the scenes into the careers, aspirations, and inspiration of the many talented and skilled individuals who enable the fashion and creative industries to feed our passion for clothing and product. Throughout this podcast series, I will be reaching out to the global community, looking at the industry through their eyes. Asking people to share insights about the work they do, how they got started, their most compelling experiences, the trials and tribulations they have faced and overcome, who they have met along the way, the lasting friendships formed, the part culture plays in the work they do, and their thoughts on the future of the industry following this pandemic. Joining me in episode 8 of Raw Talent is Alexander Giantsis who has a wealth of experience in global luxury wholesale and digital sales. Alexander started us at America Transu, where over nine years he developed an innate knowledge and passion for products, working with buyers around the world. As a consultant, he has applied his experience in guiding strategy in an ever-changing market where wholesale has dwindled and digital and retail experiences have taken over. As a consultant in brand development, merchandising and commercial strategy, Alexander works on O4 brand strategy and execution and guides focused merchandising and global sales plans. He also acts as a buying consultant for the free shop stores in Greece, whose brands include Jill Sander, Jacquemus and Gani, creating and implementing seasonal buying strategies across three locations and one Balenciaga monobrand store. Alongside sourcing new brands and attending seasonal buys, he is also a branding and business fashion lecturer, or I should say he is also a branding and fashion business lecturer to BA and MA students. Welcome, Alexander. It's lovely to see you today. We have rain. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> thank you for having me thank you for having me um, yes sadly the amazing weather that we've been having for the past couple of weeks has left us and seems to um, have left us for the entire week uh, oh, we did not complain we've had actually quite good weather so, I want to
0: complain I want to complain I'm sure. maybe
1: it'll it make it more productive I don't think the weather's helped with any productivity at the moment
0: <laughs> no it's definitely not helped with any productivity that's for sure We've all just turned into like very lazy people that want to just go and lay out in the sun. So yeah, yeah, I know. But I've been enjoying my afternoon sitting in the park. (laughs) So um, I think we should um, kick off with sharing with everybody how we met. Can you even remember when that was? (laughs)
1: I was trying to think, and I, got I can't actually pinpoint the actual time. I mean, it must have been when I was at Mary's, and it must have been yeah. whilst we were recruiting for some role. And to be honest, yeah. it most likely was around 10 years ago.
0: That's what I was yeah. thinking. It must be, mustn't it? My goodness. Yeah, it must have been right. And then obviously, we've always
1: continued working ever since then. Yeah. So, um,
0: yeah.
1: Yeah, I can't for the life of me remember what role it was. I haven't got um, a clue. I was trying to sort of pinpoint, obviously we were at the new studio, so yeah, around 10 years yes. ago, 10, we years I
0: think it was soon after you moved to the new studio, perhaps when they were looking to expand the teams or yeah. something. Yeah, I don't know. Obviously we
1: were at that time, and all, I mean, you know as much as anything, at when times are good, there's always opportunities in fashion, and there, always, everybody's always recruiting, and there can be quite a lot of move around. But we were a growing team at the time, so we were always looking for new roles.
0: Yes, that's very true. Absolutely. And let's um, let's tell everybody, where did you grow up and what inspired you to work in fashion?
1: Um, so I have a mixed background. I was born in the UK. My mother is English, but my father is Greek. Um, so I grew up in Greece. I was just born here and then uh-huh. I grew up and went to um, high school um, in Greece, I did always intend to come and study here Um, my mother wanted us to have a a, a UK education and somehow around, I mean, I was always artistically inclined, um, but it was only think towards the end of high school, when I was getting ready for university, that I sort of channeled my sort of design work or my artwork towards fashion. Um, And it was actually initially costume design that I wanted to do. Oh, wow. Um, But I think at the time, my um, teacher at high school thought that it would be better for me to apply for fashion because it was a a wider spectrum. And then I sort of, this was back in like 2000, early 2000, late 90s, um, which was also the sort of hype of uh, the the sort of era of McQueen. And I think when I stumbled upon McQueen, I realized that, There can be theatricality in fashion and it is about telling a story and these beautiful sort of shows. So it allowed me to sort of look into fashion as more of a, maybe what I wanted, which was a storytelling sort of vehicle and to see that sort of path. And so I applied for universities in the UK um, and then came to study around 2002, I think it was, for my BA. And I've stayed ever since. So I've actually now lived longer in the UK than I did in Greece.
0: Shocking. Oh, yeah, it's amazing how, how things um, unfold. And um, what was the driving force at the start of your career? You know, how did you, what did you do when you left university? What was your first
1: job? So when I, I, my first degree was in textile and fashion design. So I actually, I wanted to do design. I then took a year out and did some traveling and I did some placements, um, to understand uh, roughly where where I wanted to lie in the fashion industry. I think I then realized that, yes, I had a creative way of thinking, but maybe um, it wasn't as creative or that wasn't maybe my um, unique selling point in a way. Um, So then I decided I wanted to do an NMA in design management um, and focus on branding and sort of, have a more complete or 360 view of the industry because i thought it would give me a, a, a leg up in terms of looking for roles um, and i was then toying between milan and london but i couldn't see myself i went to milan for a few months at the time because i, um, I had the opportunity and i just couldn't see myself living in milan so mm. i thought whereas I could see myself living in London. So I thought, okay, let me come to LCF, do the, the, the course and sort of try and find my feet, my sort of footing in the industry. Um, and I do actually think it was really good that I didn't in a way go to London straight away out of university and I, I went to Leeds as a first degree because it gave you more of a university experience. And then coming as an MA student, I could really take advantage of the city and, not necessarily have to sort of focus on the university life as much, as much as looking at the fashion industry, which London has amazing yeah. opportunities. Um, and I sort of, then coming out of university, I decided to be, I, I wanted to be as independent as possible. Um, and I started in retail. Um, I, I worked at Harvey Nichols for about a year and a half. Um, still, to which I think is one of the most important Um, experiences that I've had and I always sort of whenever I go to universities or talk to students I always urge people to to take a weekend job even if it's a couple of hours a part time job in retail because in the end of the day if you're wanting to work in fashion at whatever sort of level if it's design if it's marketing if it's sales if it's PR it is a commodity led business and you are there to try and sell clothing or accessories or whatever it is so you need to have first-hand experience of dealing with customers and dealing with the issues that they actually face. And, yes. and it, it is amazing what you learn in retail and how that has followed me throughout my career in terms of how different people shop, what, what crosses their mind, what issues they have. And I think if you're going to work at whatever level, if you want to work in sort of high street or mid-market, then obviously try and gain experience in those sectors. If you want to work in luxury, luxury, again, London has amazing stores um, and it does give you sort of really solid foundations. Um, Obviously for me as well, because I then started working in sales and in wholesale, it was extremely useful, but I think at all sort of positions and at all levels of the fashion industry.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I started out with a Saturday job in Kingston near where I live. So I absolutely agree. And I think it's invaluable having that retail experience. So it definitely sets you up for a, a greater understanding. We're about to be joined by my cat. It's really big. So, so sorry, this is- No worries. <laughs> Hi, rascal. So, oh, yes, not, not ideal. I've managed to actually avoid this podcast series, but today he's decided that he's gonna on you with his presence you can just see like a ridiculous tail can't you wafting across the screen it's hilarious <laughs> so yeah he's likely to be a complete nuisance but we'll just see how we go so um as your career unfolded would you say that you've actively guided the tra- trajectory or did you react to market opportunities because your first role was at Merica Transuit how did you come to land that role
1: to be honest, it was, it was a bit of both. I think there okay. was a lot of conscious decisions, but also reacting.
0: Um, yeah.
1: As I said, when I, even for my university degrees, I sort of made that conscious decision that, okay, design might not be for me. I need to do a sort of more management thinking that that would be, but obviously not knowing exactly what that path would uh, lead me down. Um, and obviously having nickels. And it was one I was out having nickels when I first came across Mary. I think it was her first season. That she was in the store. So, um and it, it just, I think I saw an application for um, an internship at the time.
0: Okay. Um,
1: so obviously I was looking, because I just left uni, I'd been at Harvey Nichols for a year, it was it was great, but it wasn't what I wanted to do. I, I wanted to go back in house. Yeah. I was looking for opportunities and, and I applied um, and I think it was very serendipitous for both of us, for, for, for Marianne and I, when um that happened but it was a conscious decision for me to move away from say retail yeah and it wasn't it didn't happen straight away i actually worked at the time i went part-time at the store and i was doing four days at mary's and three days at the uh, at the uh, harvey nichols because obviously i still had bills to pay yeah um, which was hardcore so it was about four months and we worked seven days a week oh my but god very quickly then um mary offered me a position, and I, I think you, I remember actually it was just before Christmas I left um, Harvey Nichols on the Christmas party that was my leaving due right um, <laughs> and started at Mary's in the new year full time and it sort of escalated from there I think we were a really small team at the beginning it was four of us including Mary which we and you pretty much did everything which was amazing for me because the fashion industry as is quite guarded so sometimes you don't necessarily realize what a structure is internally from the outside, or what opportunities there are, or how right. it actually works. Absolutely. So it was a crash course of pretty much doing all. Um, I was designing, I was helping with production, I was doing sales, um, and then as the team grew and as the as the business grew, sort of clear positions uh, became available, and um, obviously my my biggest strength and uh, an asset to the company was being an external sort of person other than Mary and, and, and handling sales, handling yes. the global expansion, handling all collaborations. I still was very involved and up until I left with uh, internally um, overseeing um, the merchandising and the, and the print team and obviously productions, show productions, PR and marketing um, as we were a small team. But it was in a way reacting to the opportunity that came my way and, and how the business grew. Um, yes. So I've always had that attitude that there there are conscious decisions that you made, uh, one being obviously when I also decided to leave Mary's um, two years ago, and um, that was a conscious decision. And then, yeah. um, but you also have to be open to reacting to what comes your way. Because, yes. because as I said, fashion has a lot of opportunities that you wouldn't necessarily think of when you're starting mm-hmm. off or when you're studying. Um, so you need to be open. Um, and in a weird way, they're quite, you, you, there's other than certain roles, maybe design and um, finance. There's very little set trajectories for a lot of the roles. There's not necessarily a degree that you have to study to go into sales or to go into production. So, it's basically your skills and your experience. So it, it, it's good to be open and to sort of react to what comes your way because you never know where. Yeah, and where, people. Where you
0: yeah, it's true, and I often see people within the, the, the spectrum of all the different fashion disciplines. People will study one thing and then go into something completely different. That happens a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, because so, and yeah. And that's a good thing. It's, it's very so,
0: transferable. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's no, the no same
1: trajectory as in a lot of careers where you
0: have
1: yeah. to. Be like, go yeah,
0: it's very, yeah, very it's very set. Whereas it's a bit more flexible in the fashion industry for sure. What have been the major learnings from your experience?
1: When it came to retail, it was, it was how customers purchase and how customers think and yes. um, what processes they go through their mind. Okay. Um, in terms of building a brand and in terms of a luxury fashion brand, um, I think it's really important to have strong foundations, yeah. a unique sort of selling point and a clear understanding of your customer. Yes. And I, I, I see this a lot now that I consult um, and it is, has been amazing for me to sort of have had that through uh, wearing, working at Mary's but also now with all these brands being able to pinpoint really early on what a brand's, brand's strengths are. Um, it's actually quite funny in a way to see that sometimes brands don't, can't necessarily see that or they start with a certain frame of mind and then they wander off it. Um, and it's important, as I said, to always have a very clear view of what you want your customer to be, what their lifestyle is. I think a lot of the times, and that's why working in retail really helps with a lot of brands, it's about the aspiration and the dream, which is great because that sells, but they forget about the customer or who the consumer is or they don't mm-hmm. necessarily know who the consumer is. Yeah. Um, and another sort of learning is that the fashion circle is a circle and it ebbs and flows and it goes up and down. And as long as you know that and you're prepared for that, you can have a, a, a lasting career. But um, yeah, it, go, it does go in circles and it's key to sort of pre-predict and be aware and, uh, and make sure that you're building on your strengths so that yes. you can support any sort of, um, mishaps along the way.
0: What do you think your strengths are? What would you say are the are sort of the top three things that you're really good at?
1: I'm very good at building relationships and that's obviously been a key both with collaborations and with wholesale yes. throughout my career. Yeah. Um, I'm a very good communicator and a very good sort of storyteller, which again in luxury is is, is really strong. Um, I also have a very commercial eye. I suppose that's what also led me to go down a more marketing and sort of sales route because maybe creatively I, 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 I didn't have um, the sort of amazing eye of a McQueen, but I was very good at noticing commercial opportunities um, and that's what also really helped with Mary, who's obviously an incredibly creative force, but you sort of have to rein it in. And in the end of the day, as I said, it is a commodity-led uh, industry. So being able to see where you can work with which partners, what kind of maybe product um, is really key. And as I said, with luxury fashion, it is selling about an aspiration and a beautiful story, whether that's the craftsmanship behind a brand, the values behind a brand, the ethos, the design, you need to be able to communicate that in the best possible way. Yes, and then
0: definitely. Because you want to sell I, I, products at the Amazon. end of the day. So you yeah. know, want your collections to sell. So it's there's got to be that commerciality for the consumer to want to buy. it. yeah, and my strength has been to
1: build it. it and it's, even the, the brands I consult at the moment is being able to pinpoint it really early on and yeah. set it out very clearly so that people have something to look back at and focus on when they're building the brand, because along the way, it's inevitable that you might get misled or you sort of might go on a tangent. So as long as your foundations are strong, then you can always um, refer back to them and have a clear idea.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. How would you describe your management style? How do you like to manage teams?
1: Um, I've always been quite open and approachable, and I like to sort of lead by example. And I suppose that stems from the fact that I was relatively young when I started on Aries, and I had a very young team, but we were pretty much the same age. Sometimes I had people on my team that were older than me. So you sort of there was no point I suppose in trying to be authoritarian or like um, it was more part of the team, showing them by example. I'm incredibly hardworking. So and I wouldn't expect a I would expect the same sort of attitude from um, the people that that work for me. Um, At the same time, as I sort of grew older, I realised that there's also a balance to be had between um, work and life. And I I, I always try and now convey that to any teams that I work with, because I think, especially when you're building a young brand, you can get lost in it and it can consume everything. But um, you want to sort of have certain time for your own, um, time to reflect. Um, And that's why, as I said, I I like to also allow people to sort of grow and develop in their own shells. There's no one fit, especially when it came to wholesale. There's no one way that works for all. Yes, there's a tone that's set by the brand, but each sort of candidate will have their own way of building relationships, their own way of um, communicating a product, selling a product, And it was always important for me to see who had the strengths and allow them to sort of develop them further without sort of stifling them. And as I said, without me trying to be like, no, you have to work exactly like I do or sell it or or approach things in the way that I do. Because with sales, it is a bit of a, you learn in the job and and you learn throughout the process. So giving those candidates the opportunity to develop their style and their technique is important. Um, and I've always sort of wanted that to allow, because similarly, I've always been quite independent as um, as a person and I've always been allowed yeah. to develop my own voice. So you don't want anybody to be like micromanaging and be like, no, it needs to be done this way or that way. Or um, And in the end of the day, you sort of also learn from your mistakes, so it's it's, you know, mistakes will be yeah. done and uh, you always. can't
0: control everything always. You can, absolutely. How do you manage up? How do you manage the expectations of the people above you?
1: Um, I think with this, the most important is to be as honest and as open as possible. Again, because we were in a small brand and I was in-house for so long, it's sort of second nature um, that you have to be open and you have to tackle issues there and then because they're only going to come back and bite you later on if you don't openly discuss them. I mean, as I said, sometimes I've always been, um, I I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, I always try and pre-predict what management will want or what management will think and try and, I've always tried to work silently in the background before they even know something has come up. And sometimes they might not even then realise that they needed it because I've just done it. Just just to ease life. But I suppose that goes back to working in-house and being like, might as well lay the foundations and do it from the beginning rather than wait for something to happen and then
0: have yeah, to start to totally
1: later totally.
0: on. Best to be proactive, and if you can sort of head something off, why wouldn't you? So, you know, things always crop up, it's such a complex industry in terms of supply chain and route to market. So, yeah, that makes perfect sense.
1: Again, similar to what I said before, it, it is to sort of also set boundaries with. Yeah just as you said with your sort of the people in your team is also with higher management um yeah. because life balance i've found uh, um as i get older is the most important and um, i yeah, always try and it, it, it's difficult <laughs> sometimes with fashion because you travel a lot but i try and not take work home with me if possible yeah. i will stay at work or i will be in that work bubble for as long as it's necessary but in a way the moment then you leave then you have to sort of switch off. Um, and it's not always easy, especially when you're starting off and you're sort of building a brand because okay. issues are 24 hours. But in the end of the day...
0: You'll burn out if you keep yeah. you keep going. So you've got to have downtime. It's so, so important. It's true. What do you think is the best way to be um, influential?
1: This one I had to think about. I suppose... Um, it is when you have an opinion um, um, to be able to back it up. I think okay. fashion, um, for, for good or for bad, is a lot about numbers and yeah. a lot about um, figures. And this does definitely come in with, into play within sales, for sure. Uh, but I think in all areas, design, marketing, um, for your opinion to be valid, you need to sort of be able to back it up yes it's great to have taste and yes it's great to to be opinionated but just to have an opinion for the sake of it if there's no necessary I mean, that's, yeah yeah people won't necessarily trust you after a while if you're yeah. able to then back it up and s- with certain results of that product did really well those seasons because of this this and that yeah and um but we have to take into consideration that maybe we delivered really late or this or that and have a clearer picture so you can present everything with fact then people will start trusting your opinion yeah um, I think
0: that's really valid I think that that's a brilliant way of explaining it
1: yeah and I've always tried to have that approach that it isn't just my opinion because you sort of and that's where I, I, I can see it with candidates I've seen or when you work in the industry um, when people let personal sort of taste or personal Um, opinion sort of creep in it can get a little bit difficult because yes a opinion counts but in the end of the day you might not be the customer and that was the case always with Mary so I was a I was a guy it's a women's wear luxury brand yes I wore the brand I'm actually wearing it today but Uh it isn't that I was the customer so you then have you can't be just about your own personal taste and I uh, I see that a lot in the industry where people will put their own personal taste yeah, above
0: absolutely
1: the greater picture and the sort of yeah. acidific, the fact I that as well. and that's the important thing in fashion that you have to be objective. Objective. Yes, mm-hmm. personal taste does play into to account and sort of gut instinct, mm-hmm. but you need to make sure that you can substantiate your decisions and your yeah, opinions.
0: Totally. I think that makes sense. What was your best experience?
1: Ooh, so many. <laughs> um, I mean in terms of I suppose SS11, which was the spring-summer 11 show, uh, which was the interiors collection, and it was at Waterloo Station, will always be my sort of favourite because it was a pivotal moment for the brand and for the people's perception of the brand. Because before that, yes, it was on the radar of a few people and it it was a cool brand that was doing something different and unique with digital print, but it wasn't necessarily maybe taken as seriously or... um, it was such an am, sort of amazing moment for London and for, for Mary and, and for the brand and for me professionally um, because we were able to open up so, then so many doors and expand into so many markets and then travel the world uh, as a result. Equally then, um, but this time returning as a consultancy capacity, I helped Mary with a show last year in Greece, um, in Sunio, which is obviously the temple of Poseidon. Um, again, a show's never been done there. And that was such a huge undertaking to be involved in, in terms of doing a massive production abroad, and with all the for charity and with all the um, logistics that goes with a destination show, but also the weight of doing it in an archaeological site when when nobody has ever done one before in Greece. uh, Obviously, being half Greek, that will always. and it was three days of events that we had to plan, and I was
0: yeah.
1: I was doing
0: parties, of, absolutely amazing. Yeah. What was your really experience? Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. What What would be your worst experience by contrast?
1: That's always a difficult one because, it, with hindsight, things seem to like you sort of forget about the, the true because the, <laughs> um, there were a lot of hard times and a lot of. I know. And, and they're, often the,
0: they're often the times that you learn the most from, you know, when you reflect back on things, you think, what were the yeah. learnings? And, actually and uh, there's and, good learnings that come out of the tough times.
1: Yeah, that's exactly true. And, and yes, there might be some that you can pinpoint. I mean, I remember one season we had issues with an external warehouse that we had worked with and just having to deal with that, you sort of learn um, how much sort of resourcefulness you have as a person. <laughs> How much power and determination to sort of work through that? Yeah. Um, But in a in a weird way, that sort of then teaches you like you basically can't be really phased anymore these days. Like I always have an attitude now. We'll find a way because after so many years of mishaps happening, and then you actually find a solution, you realize that nothing is overwhelming or
0: yeah, nothing is insurmountable. There's always a solution yeah that's so true what are the personality traits that you think are most important to your work
1: in terms of me as a person I think um, I do have a very positive outlook Um, I've always had a very positive outlook and I find that that is the most important because it sort of goes back to what we said before where if you have a positive outlook you will always find a way find a solution yes get over a hurdle um, but you also bring up the atmosphere in your team, the studio, you don't necessarily want to be the one draining everybody. Um, I've always had that. And, um, for good or for bad, um, I, I try and um, I, I, I sort of find it's one of the most important aspects of me as a person, but also when you work to have a positive um, atmosphere and a positive workforce. And then it, it's a mixture of, um, approachability and professionalism. Um, yes. You sort of want a really good balance between those two, especially when building relationships.
0: Yeah.
1: It is about give and take. You, you want to be taken, you want to sort of be approachable, but at the same time, there is a professional level to it that yes. um, when we're working, we're working, and when we're not, we're not. Definitely. I
0: think that's a good take on it. Who was the most inspiring manager that you've ever worked for? Um, worked
1: I mean, I've actually had quite a few over the last few years. Um,
0: is there one in particular, one particular person that kind of stands out for a particular reason?
1: I suppose because she it was the longest sort of direct manager and because setting up your uh, your own brand is a huge undertaking. I do have a lot of... A respect for mary for what yeah she did and it's not an as you know a need easy industry and
0: oh, yeah. i easy.
1: i knew from very early on when i was studying that i didn't necessarily want to have my own brand i i i felt better that working off another brand's codes and being able to distill them and sort of commercialize them so i knew that my calling was always to work for a brand yeah but i do respect Mary for being able to, to set up her own business at a very early age. We were both, I mean, she's two years older than yeah. me. But we, I was 24 and I think she was 26 or actually maybe 23, 25. Um, it, it is hardcore and, and you have to sort of balance both sides. You're building a business. Yeah. You have to be creative. Um, so I suppose um, that was an inspiration in terms of always finding a way and yes, there'll be setbacks, but as long as you have the vision and you have the the willpower, you'll you'll get through it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's that's a fair call. And have you worked with anybody or for anybody that um was the least inspiring and that sort of showed you ways that maybe things are best not done?
1: Yes, I suppose you can. I mean, I have, as I said, I always um a positive outlook. So I will always see the positive in people. Even yeah, I'm the same. But yes, I suppose you do draw from each one various because nobody can be perfect in a way. No manager yeah, oh, I mean, that I've
0: of not. is
1: perfect, and I'm sure I wasn't perfect in all ways. But you try, as you said, to distill what maybe doesn't work for somebody and why it doesn't work and why you wouldn't want to do it. Yeah, and I suppose being very impatient and very overtly pushy as a manager I find doesn't work yeah uh, maybe it is as I said because I'm very disciplined and I've always been like get, if I have a task I will do it until the end I don't necessarily need somebody checking up I need somebody sort of managing yeah above you all the time and I, I did that with my team where I would give them they had their sort of tasks and their responsibilities and obviously you check up on every every now and then to make sure things are happening. But I wouldn't be sort of, okay, let's go through every single thing. Have you done that? Have you not done that? Have you done this? There's yeah, no need. to
0: go and, and, and execute it in the way you yeah. see fit.
1: And in a way it's a learning experience for them that
0: yeah,
1: if they don't come to me for an issue and then they struggle and then, then that's a learning curve for them. They're like, okay, yeah. maybe I should have gone or okay, I can't do that task. I will have to find another way to do it. And then you sort of have to think on your own. And I suppose as I said, it comes back from the fact that um, I was very disciplined as a young child because I used to compete in, compete in horse riding in Greece. And
0: Oh, wow. What level? It,
1: I, I, I mainly oh. did massage, but Greece has a, a, a more of a sort of show jumping background. So there was nobody ever there to necessarily, there was no trainers that could really help me and yes I was lucky that my mother was a judge so there were people to be sort of pimping you but you had to sort of find your own way and I had to be as independent to be like okay I when when I was doing my training I have to be accountable because there's nobody necessarily there to to help you and so dressage is
0: so disciplined it's the toughest of all the horse disciplines I know and
1: and um, yes I was lucky as I said that I had my mother being a judge so she could sort of even the point is, but in the end of the day, when you were setting out your training schedule, your training plan with your horse, you basically had to make sure it, it was coming through. There was no trainer telling you, okay, this time, that time, do this, ah. do that. So it made me very independent from a very early, on, yeah. from a very early age of having to be like, you no, know, you, when you do a job, you just have to find a way and do it and be accountable. Um, so I suppose that's what in, has um, influenced me Uh, and um, the way I work and how I want my teams in a way to work.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And if there were no trainers at the time specialising in dressage, how did you get started?
1: Um, Well, I thought it was show jumping as with You did show
0: jumping as well. Um,
1: And then uh, due to my mother obviously being English, I used to come to the UK in the summers and train here. So obviously I had training and nobody can be great without it. But it was sort of in small pockets where you'd come for yeah. the summer, learn a lot, and then you had have to go back and it implement depends. it throughout the yeah. year on your own. Wow. Um, and, and that's how it happened. And maybe every yeah. now and then a the trainer would wow. come to me, so you'd get somebody visiting. So you, they'd give you a few little hi- um, t- t- tippets throughout the process. But, at the end of the day, it was it was, it was you. On the
0: floor. yeah, Buck stopped with you. Wow, that was amazing. That's a brilliant, incredible foundation, actually. And it does explain a lot about what I know of you, having worked with you over the years. <laughs> so no, that's incredible. So, you know, we're kind of, I don't know, I don't know whether we would call ourselves midway through the coronavirus um, pandemic. I guess we're somewhere midway. Um, we're yet to see retail stores open. We're getting there. It's, it's coming. It's coming. We're not quite there yet, but um, we're, still in, we're still in lockdown. What do you think the um, fashion landscape is going to look like on the other side and what do you think it should look like?
1: Um, I mean, it, it's it's a hotly debated topic, and I actually wrote really an article uh, recently about it.
0: A very um, good one, yes.
1: I think it's difficult to know exactly what the landscape will be like, because it's uh, it's unprecedented times. We've never really had anything no. similar to sort of fall back on. So you don't know what people want to shop again, but- they bounce back or they won't.
0: But is that exciting? Does that in itself create opportunity? The fact that it is unprecedented, does that then give us a clean slate to go, well, we think it should be like this?
1: I think, yes. Um, The optimist in me wants to see change and hopes that we can. And I think the braver the change, the better. Um, Because yes, you can make little fixes, but, As we all know, fashion was getting to a point where it was a breaking point. There was was two collections, two brands, um, everything was on sale. You pretty much could find sales throughout the year, whether from a loyalty program or from mid-season sales, end-season sales, previews, um, all
0: all the time.
1: um, Yeah, initiatives and incentives to, to, to buy and sale. So in a weird way in an ideal world, you'd want to be less collections, more about sort of the core of a brand and not have to be like all the time, new product, new product, new product. And a lot of brands were sort of doing that already in a way. Um, I know that Gucci has obviously now said that they'll only do two seasons, but the Gucci model of keeping a certain image, um, which could get repetitive in a way in terms of,
0: uh, press wanting newness all the time
1: yeah, the newness. As does. but the fact that the identity of the product was quite similar season season made it have a longer shelf life and it was mm-hmm. what the brand stands for rather than new product new product so yeah, you could buy something right. now and wear it with something in four years time and it doesn't necessarily gold, but you're buying into the what the brand believes in yeah. um but i think Ideally, you'd want to sort of realign the seasons to be more closely matched with the product and what you're sort of wanting to wear and buy at the time, I find that because obviously sales would get creeping up earlier and earlier, uh, we started introducing earlier deliveries and then you have pre-collections and you started having spring, you were shipping your pre-spring in October, November, when it's months before spring, summer. So nobody's really in that frame of mind. And then you're going on sale in May before summer has even started. And similarly in winter, where everything is, you're sending stock just before summer. um, And then you had pressure from your store, so you had to start designing that pre-fall to be more high summer. But then it's called pre-fall. And if it doesn't sell by um, a certain time, then it's never going to sell in winter. And it was just getting a bit confusing and I think in an ideal world you'd want to sort of completely clean that slate and be like start shipping let's say your spring summer stock in March when spring starts through May and then you have the whole of summer to sell it and you don't go on sale until end of August which is the end of summer for your summer stock and then similarly with winter where you start delivering in sort of September and then you don't go on sale until end of February. It's difficult because Yes love you would need everybody to get on board, and maybe yeah. not necessarily only luxury you'd have to have fast fashion potentially not necessarily, but because you're trying to re educate a customer to not expect sale, yeah, but it can be done like this if you think of things like Apple, Apple yeah. very rarely never goes on sale no and people will pay money to buy that new model, and in a way actually it. It's similar to fashion in that it needs you to buy newness even if necessarily you don't need a new phone every sort of year. But mm, uh, okay. at least it, it's educated as customers to not expect sale and yes. to have to buy full price because that's the important thing. And yes, maybe we yeah. could work, as many people have said, to lower the prices down so that you can afford to not have to go on sale. Yeah. But the important thing is to try and re educate the customer to not expect uh, to want to buy something full price and to buy it there and then and not say, okay, I have to wait or it's going to go on sale or I don't need it now, but I'll need it in six months. No. Um,
0: yeah, that makes sense. I think that's, uh, I think everybody's feeling uh, feeling the same. There's been a lot written, hasn't there? We've seen lots of articles on LinkedIn and lots of articles through Vogue Business, Business of Fashion, uh, Fashion Network, all kind of talking about similar concerns and similar ideas so it'll be really interesting to see how things evolve and whether a consensus can be reached across the industry um, at all levels to address this so yeah we'll watch this space and and see what comes out the other side and if you can share one or two insights that will inspire others in their careers what would those be
1: um In terms of working in fashion, um, and I I do this a lot with lectures I do at LCF and Marangoni, is that as much as fashion is a guarded industry, you don't really know what it looks like on the inside until you've worked in it. um, It does actually have a lot of different opportunities. And it is quite open, as I said earlier, in terms of different backgrounds and where you can come from. I mean, I had people on my sales teams that had finance backgrounds or law backgrounds or like it it wasn't necessarily that there was a set um background or um degree that i was looking for
0: was it driven more by their personality and you know their determination and the and the and the, the type of person they were was that more important? yes
1: and the, and the qualities that they would be able to bring yeah. to that role and i think that's what's important Uh, and an insight is that there are so many different opportunities and i think when when people study it's either design or marketing slash branding these days and people just get pigeonholed okay i'm either going to work in pr marketing or i'm going to work in design yet there's so many opportunities in terms of merchandising in terms of production logistics product development there's so many other areas where actually and i'm sure you know it's even harder to find candidates so if you're able to if you see, if you can sort of re- self-reflect and see where your sl- strengths lie and be like quite honest with yourself and be like, okay, maybe I said a design, but actually I could be a really good product developer rather than um, designer. Maybe it gives me more of a step up in the in, in the industry. And as I said, the industry can be quite open to where, where you're coming from. So yeah. you should take advantage of that and not have, Definitely. and always be as a, Um, open to opportunities that might come up within the industry. If fashion is your passion and where you want to work and dream uh, and you've dreamt of working, you can sort of be flexible as to where where in the industry you lie.
0: Yeah, it's true because it's it's a very um, interactive industry in terms of how everything works so closely together. The cross-functional teamwork that we see within the industry is very integrated, It's probably a good way to describe it, people gather knowledge and skills through that um, in that close interaction which then makes it possible for them to pivot within what they do and if you're naturally analytical or you're naturally very methodical then there's lots of roles within the industry that will be able to accommodate you and will want to harness those skills that you have so yeah I I absolutely agree I think it's uh, I think it's good advice and my closing question is who is your dream brand to work for and name three people that you would want on your team and they can be anybody it could be famous people it can be people you've worked with it could be absolutely anyone and it could be your own brand
1: i mean there could be so many (laughs) Um, i i mean ever since i was a young child and it was one of the brands i've always had on my radar even before it sort of stratospheric rise these last few years is Gucci, and I suppose oh, the current team of Alessandro and Marco would be amazing to work under, yeah. just because I think, yes, they've they they they've been very good with hitting the, um, a good sort of product mix and, and being really clever, but they've also been super strong in terms of understanding the tone of today's sort of society and, and creating community and sort of balancing being commercial but being also artistically led and um, quite avant-garde in their approach with yes. such a big brand. So I th- think yes. it is amazing. Having said that, if, if ever the opportunity to have worked with McQueen, it would have been amazing. Um, <laughs> I was lucky enough to work with Trino, who had been like me, one of the very first employees of McQueen. Um, so I know so many amazing stories and, it, and, and I still have a relationship, a very close relationship with Trino. but obviously he was one of my biggest inspirations, so it would have been amazing. But then equally, somebody like Tom uh, Tom Ford or Dominico de Sol, I suppose it's because these kind of people were, when I was studying, the sort of... Um, there was a goal. <laughs> ...of building a brand and building a story. And, um, it's, yeah, I suppose similar to how Alessandra and Marco are now. It's this yeah. double act that really works. So to be there, to be part of that team would be amazing. Um, Fantastic.
0: And who would you have in your team? Who would work with you?
1: I don't know. Sometimes I find that you want to sort of, if you're going to a new place, to sort of work with a team that's there and try and make the best of them. Like, I mean, obviously yeah. I've had people that I've worked with that um, I've actually sort of always continue to work with, but yeah. it's, it's sometimes nice to sort of find new people because you also yeah. learn from them. And
0: So you could you, choose any three people in the world. Who would you pick? Who'd be your dream team? Who would you have?
1: Well, as I say, I mean, I'd love to be in a team with um, Alessandro, Michele from Gucci and Marco. I okay. mean, like, yeah, That's good. That, that, and be the three of us. No, no need for anybody else. Rule the world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fantastic. That's great. Thank you so much. It's been so much fun to chat to you today. Yeah. Lovely to have you on. So thank you. Alexander walks us through his career from university to a nine year tenure at Merica Transu, where he evolved from a team of four, ultimately going on to lead the global sales team. He emphasises the importance of understanding your customer and delivering collections that meet their expectations whilst capturing the brand DNA and he lifts the lid on an industry that can appear quite close from the outside, and yet in reality is made up of complex cross-functional teams who interact closely, thereby creating opportunities for individuals to pivot in alignment with their natural skills. I also discovered that horse riding and dressage were a major early life influence in his childhood that enabled him to create the discipline and commitment he has demonstrated throughout his career. If you enjoyed this episode, join me next time when I will be speaking with Alice Canning about her product development journey in luxury women's work, which includes acne, use of Kepler, and mother of pearl. And if you are enjoying the series, hit the subscribe button to receive notifications on upcoming episodes, where you'll get to hear first-hand insights from across the global fashion and creative industries.